HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio. I am here in Vermont, and I'm on the phone with Mary Russ in Florida from Trinity Acres. Hi. <laughs> How's it going down there? It's going pretty good. It's surprisingly hot. I'm in shorts and short sleeve shirt, so that's a little crazy. Whoa, so you have the warm weather earlier than us. We're supposed to have 52 degrees tomorrow. Whoa, crazy. Yeah, it's wild. I guess, I guess it is Florida. It is Florida, but we used to have cold weather in Florida, and now it seems like we really don't anymore. Um, Mary, Russ, will you mind starting at the beginning and explaining where you are and what you do just to get us going? Certainly. So my name is Mary Russ, and I am the manager at Serenity Acres Dairy and Education Center. Um, I manage a small artisan goat dairy, and we've recently started becoming an education center and a nonprofit to teach about sustainable farming practices. Um, I've been here for about six months, and before that, I managed several um, certified organic CSA vegetable farms in Florida as well. Um, the farm that I'm at currently is in Pineta, Florida, which is a very rural area um, about an hour outside of Tallahassee, Florida. Um, do you want to, I, I don't know if I'm you sorry, want to know more pushed, about how I, pushed, I got into it? <laughs> yeah, tell me, tell me more about how you got into it and tell us about some of what the rest of the landscape is like. Um, near you there. So I got into um, managing a dairy farm. I was I was originally managing a, a pretty large CSA farm. I had about 150 members, and I, I was, 
became pretty interested in animal husbandry and a farm that I respected a lot that was uh, just a couple years old approached me about coming and, and working with them and really trying to grow the business with them. And so I, I readily accepted and moved from the heart of Tallahassee where I was managing um, almost an urban farm to, <laughs> to Pineda, Florida, which is very rural. It's uh, near Valdosta, Florida, and we're kind of surrounded by commercial agriculture. So that's a very interesting dynamic to be an artisan goat dairy in the middle of, you know, commodity crop cornfields right on the other side of our property line. Um, well, it's more so, common. It's more common than you might think for for many people, and and but yeah. it's a, it's a weird. It's like one of those poetic weird things that so many of us, even though we are in spirit together in a great united momentum, uh, in reality we are all on our borders, surrounded by conventional farming. Yeah. Anyway, what kind of farming? is growing on around there. So there's corn, you say? So in the area, there's a lot of corn. There's, you know, your typical southern commodity crops. So whenever I first came, I saw a lot of okra. Um, It looked like there had just been some cotton going on. Um, Our next-door neighbors were growing corn. I think the property that I'm on now, before the the, um, current owners bought it, I think they were growing some corn on it as well. part of it. Um, there's a lot of cattle. A lot of people do small cattle grazing. Um, but that's about it, animal husbandry-wise. There's not much other than, than cattle going on. If you go a little bit further outside of the area, you'll start seeing a lot more um, like poultry farms, the large factory poultry farms, but not so much right, right close to where we are, thankfully. That's very nice. And then will you describe what the office scale of operation that you guys are running and, and what your products are? So we are on 60 acres. Um, we have, right now we're in kidding season, so the amount of goats that we have is increasing <laughs> rapidly, um, if not daily. But we have a little over 70 goats right now. We have 30 head of cattle, uh, give or take a few. We also have a couple of horses, ducks. We have a little over 300 layer chickens, and then we also have four guardian dogs um, to help keep our herd safe. And we also have a small garden that we use to help feed our interns and ourselves, but we don't really sell anything out of that. And so with the milk that we so get from dreamy. our goats, yeah, <laughs> super dreamy. So with the, the milk that we get from our goats, um, we make... We sell the milk. We also make cheeses and yogurt out of it, different types of chevres and, um, like, fromage blancs and fetas. And we're constantly playing with, you know, new recipes, trying new things, which is one of the greatest benefits of being out at the farm is, is that I've learned so much about making cheese and, you know, anything that the owners can do to facilitate the learning process they're, they're going to do for their manager or for any of their interns. It's definitely a, a farm that's focused on learning. Well, and so, and so like many farms that take on a lot and 
and want to do lots of stuff with kids, you, you, it sounds like you came to the understanding that doing so in a nonprofit context makes a lot of sense for liability and programming and having enough time to spend with kids and clean up after their messes. Um, do you want to tell about that, that part of the work? Yeah. Um, and even so I would I, say you could talk about, like, you know, um, what are what are the, the surprising difficulties with being a nonprofit for those who are thinking about going down that path? So we're just, we're kind of brand new to the nonprofit thing. Um, we're still working on our paperwork, but that's definitely the route that we're heading towards. And, I mean, obviously there's a lot of tax incentives to help small farmers. But for us, one of the biggest things was it would help us achieve um, our goal of education. That's our, our largest goal as a collective between the owners and the managers is that we really want to promote um, the education of anyone that wants to come out and learn about sustainability or animal husbandry. We want to give them a place to learn. And for that, we want to build an education center. And if we're a nonprofit, they'll like a, or we're much more possible to get grants to help fund us and affiliations to help build curriculum where our interns could potentially down the line receive some sort of accreditation for going through our program. Um, that becomes a, a lot more likely possibility. So for us, it just seemed kind of like a no-brainer to go the nonprofit route. Um, but one of the, you know, biggest drawbacks of, of working in a, a learning setting where you're, you're dealing with a lot of different people is that you kind of have this constant turnaround um, of staff. Um, but it's also been very advantageous to us having that constant cycling of staff because it's forced us to really learn how to teach people. Um, we've begun to recognize that, you know, different people have different methods of learning and our job is to try and facilitate the best environment for them to learn. And we feel like that's one of our strengths right now is that we're really learning how to facilitate this process for a lot of different types of people. Um, we've learned that, you know, not everyone can just listen to what you have to say or what you want them to do. Some people need to see it. Some people need to, like, have hands-on learning experience. We've worked with um, some people that have some learning challenges, and we've helped, you know, facilitate that learning process for them. And that's been a really rewarding experience for all of us. Well, as a learning-challenged person myself, I know that agriculture is just the place for um, those with different aptitudes. And, um, and, and I wanted to make one other point to add to yours about the nonprofit thing is, you know, in the Hudson Valley and, the, and other places, um, we've definitely noticed that the nonprofit farms, because they're like hiring more educators and then the educators are in a young stage of life when they're going to be moving on again to another place. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, what it, 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 there is that cycling, but there's also a nice thing where it's a safe place for people to land in the valley that's a little bit beyond just being an intern or a farm worker where you're, like, getting a nice salary, you have a role in the community, you have some kind of um, institution to build from. Definitely. And an excuse to get to know people. So as far as, like, if you're someone who's beyond being an apprentice but has some educational skills, taking one of these 
educator farm positions can be a really nice way of introducing yourself to the valley or to, you know, the new area where you're considering locating more permanently. Definitely. I completely agree. And it's it's really beneficial for the organization that you're working with when you look at it from the stance of, like, yes, you might have a slightly rotating staff, but everyone has really positive attributes. And if you learn how to, like, um, take advantage of, of what skills and experiences each person that you have working with you, be it, you know, a manager or if you're a farm that has interns or apprentices or woofers, learning how to really tap into what each individual has to offer and try and give them the opportunity to blossom. Um, I think that that's a really amazing part of having, you know, an apprenticeship program, a wolf program, being an education center, just watching that process. Yeah, well, and and realizing that everybody has something that's everybody has something special. It's good. It's good lesson for getting along. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that. Something that you know, I've just been kind of starting to run into some more Floridian young farmers, and I just wanted a little rundown in your perspective. Um, tell us about the organic farm scene in Florida. Um, for Florida, in the past five to six years since I've started farming, it's definitely, you know, kind of starting off. Um, I just made the comment, I just came back from the Southern Sog Conference, and I went for the first time three years ago, and I've gone each year since. And it seems like every year the amount of young farmers doubles, and that just, it's incredible to see. It just, it makes me so happy. And I, I'm even seeing that, you know, in Tallahassee, the city where my farming experience is kind of been centered, um, that I'm seeing more and more young people get interested in farming and seek after apprenticeships and internships. And now at this point, I have friends that have gone through those internships and apprenticeships and are kind of just starting to take that leap into investing in um, farms or urban gardens of their own, um, which is really incredible. It seems like we're just starting on this wave in the state of Florida. You know, the, the South arguably is kind of a little bit behind what's going on in the, the West Coast, but it's just, I really feel rooted to the South because I feel like what we're doing is so important because we're really building the foundation for the sustainable movement. Um, yeah, the foundation. To the foundation. Um Okay, let's get back a little bit to your path in, um, because you're saying that there wasn't so much of a strong youth culture when you first got going. Um, let's talk about your early your early years, the earlier of your early years. <laughs> so um, I originally got into farming because I, I became kind of paranoid about what I was eating. I had some health problems growing up, and it seemed like, they were just chronic. They would never go away. And then I had that kind of, like, eye-opening experience where I realized, hey, maybe what I'm eating is what's making me sick. And then I started reading, and I was like, yeah, definitely what I'm eating is making me sick. And I should probably just grow it, everything that I can. And so I started trying to grow and make a garden. But, I, you know, my family, I didn't come from a farming background at all. So I had 
really no prior knowledge other than just what I had read. And so I decided I should probably <laughs> try and volunteer on any farm that would have me. And so I started working with some more established farmers in the um, Panhandle region of Florida, and I just kind of fell in love with farming. And I also really fell in love with working with farmers, um, trying to make their farms viable. I feel like a lot of farmers are are kind of in the state where they're trying to figure out how to transition their farm into being sustainable, truly, you know, um, financially sustainable, ecologically sustainable. And that's kind of where I found myself plugging in. And I've just kind of gone from one farm to the other um, to get to the point where I am now. And in that process, I mean, I, I was in my senior year of school when I decided that that's what I wanted to do with my life. And my my parents were a little afraid at first when I was like, hey, I think I'm going to take a break on college and go manage this farm. <laughs> they were a little weary. But now it's turned out to be incredible, and I've really built myself a career and built myself a little niche, so to say, and now I'm back in school finishing that final year and also managing um, during the Acres Farm, which has been, you know, just very rewarding because I'm plugged into two very different aspects of my surrounding community. Um, so let's talk about that financial. So, so you're saying that you have math skills and that you're you're noticing that you're being really helpful to the farms that you work with um, using your business sense, or or in what way do you mean? Yeah, definitely in the business sense. I think a lot of farmers that are um, older established farmers are at sometimes having problems, kind of uh, facing the changing face of business. And, I mean, it's blatantly apparent that the face of farming has definitely changed in the past 20 years, even just from a marketing stance. I mean, the way people market their goods has completely changed. And helping people change their mentalities from, you know, growing commodity crops and selling them wholesale to thinking about what if I grew a diversified farm and I sold direct to consumer? What, what would the implications of that be for me financially, ecologically? Um, and then I, you know, I have contacts with farmers who didn't really write much down, didn't have very much of a sense of bookkeeping or where their money was going. Um, we're having problems working with certain distributors, specifically restaurants. Um, and that was one area that I found that I really excelled in was helping, um, farmers sell their products either direct-to-consumer and marketing for, you know, very little if no money, and also selling to restaurants, helping farmers figure out how to, you know, compete with distributors that these restaurants have been working with for years and years, how to offer these restaurants something that they can't really pass down, um, which is, you know, they're amazing products that might cost a little bit more, but in the long run, it's worth it the restaurants to, to work with these local farmers. Wow, and who better than a charming, perky, upbeat young woman to do yeah, this special work? Yeah, has an iPhone that can take pictures and email them. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how transformative an iPhone can be? 
Oh, my gosh. I know. I remember going to, I think it was a Georgia Organics conference several years ago, and one farmer said, you know, as much as you want to be that disconnected farmer out on your field and just be able to spend time farming, you've got to sell stuff, and you should buy an iPhone. And at that point, I didn't have one. And when I got one, I was just like, oh, that's why, because I can take a picture of this beautiful product in the field or, you know, in the kitchen and email it to someone and have it sold right away. I can email it to 10 people and have them all wanting to buy that product within 30 seconds. You know, it, that was just one of the best investments that I think I've ever made for my career. Well, um, one, you know, important, my, my open source friends would not let me get away with not mentioning that the droid it's a lot more friendly in terms of programs you can run and weird stuff that you can do and that the Apple platform is more confining. Um, so I just want to make sure that I wasn't pro-Apple and anti-Droid. Um, but totally. And we have been starting a catalog, um, a farm hack of different apps and programs that are useful for farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, so if ever you wanted to get more geeky, or if you have other suggestions, um, just log on to the Farm Hack forum and join that thread, and you can read what other people have put. Um, I uploaded Definitely. a whole bunch. Actually, we had a meeting about it at SOG last year, and that's where the initial list came from, was what everybody brought to the table at that meeting. Mm-hmm. That um, sounds like a great resource. I'm sorry that I got off track. Um, oh, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so... So what's ahead? What do you feel like um, is still missing? Like you just had the perspective of the SOG conference and heard about kind of like different configurations in other places um, mm-hmm. and different businesses that are happening across the South. What do you feel like is the next steps for for Floridian farmers to look towards? Um, I think <laughs> one of our biggest things is that we're still small in numbers. I feel like I, I know that I can't speak for every city's demand, but I know that in Tallahassee, which is a, a pretty large city, the demand for local, clean, organic, sustainably grown, you know, what have you food, it's really superseding the supply. And so I think one of the biggest things is to try and get more young people and beginning farmers geared up and you know, having the tools that they need um, to start a, a business venture. I feel like that's very important, um, as well as trying to build relationships with distributors. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to grow this beautiful produce, but it's a whole other thing to sell it. Um, and I feel like in the South, there are more sustainable um, distribution centers coming up, which is, you know, a really great thing to see. Um, there's just so many different levels that really need to be obtained for the local food system. You know, farm-to-table restaurants are a really large thing in different states, but there's not that many in our area of Florida that I'm familiar with. Um, and just building those relationships and making them economically viable, I feel like it's going to be one of our greatest hurdles to leap um, in the state of Florida as well as working with legislation to make um, small farmers more financially viable. Because I'm sure that 
every person in every state has had to deal with, you know, leaping over these legislative hurdles of trying to make what they're doing fits legislation that has been modeled after large corporate agriculture. Girl, you go, girl. Well, what I want to see is if there's enough of you guys down there in Florida who are interested to activize around that uh, sentiment and see if they can't start a Young Farmers Coalition of Florida Young Farmers. That would be, that would be awesome. I would love to be, (laughs) I would love to be helping that to happen. Maybe you can help it happen too. Yeah, I think we can do it. I think we can find some people that have some spare time to, to work on that project. Yeah, you know, depending on which distributors, I still have five free beer parties. Um, we got donated um, five free beer parties from, um, what are they called, the ta- the bicycle people, Flat Tire. Nice. Those guys. And if they distribute to Florida, then we'll, we'll, we could do one there. We could do a rousing a rousing mixer, find ourselves... If we have enough rabble-rousing, then somebody will have to come show up to be the, the rabble-rousing. <laughs> Surely someone will come to the rabble-rousing if there's beer. I think we can if make that beer. happen. <laughs> I think so, too. Okay, so that's on our to-do list. That's a conspiracy we have to, t- to continue forward with. Um, other resources that you wanted to just identify for folks um, who maybe have grandparents in Florida or came from Florida but aren't connected to the farm scene down there, um, where should they look to go get um, oriented? You know, P.S., um, grandparents who have land in Florida. Now, there's a good topic, too. Yeah, you can there's a lot them. of them out there. Yeah, there's, there's a lot a of grandparents lot of like that. Well, um, okay, I think sorry. that... <laughs> so, for me, one of my... The best things that I've done um, for the promotion of my career has been acquiring mentors. Um, I think that anyone, regardless of age, that's interested in getting into agriculture should actively seek a mentor right away. They are, you know, just one of the best things you could possibly do. And then, you know, there's lots of agencies that you can talk to, your local um, extension agent that's affiliated with IFAS. They can get you in contact with you know, people that are specialists, soil specialists or forage specialists, you know, those people are there to help you. Um, ATRA is a really great resource for finding research. Um, FAIR is, let's see who else, NRCS also does incredible work and is, you know, wants to work with farmers and help them succeed. So I feel like really just tapping into all of these different resources is vital for you know, any young and beginning farmer, as well as if you're near a college, they probably have some sort of program with horticulture or, you know, sustainability, and I bet that they would want to work with you. Um, There's usually some sort of grant program affiliated with that if you want to try and do some sort of research. You can build really beautiful relationships with universities that are in your area like this. Look for someone smart and see if you can work together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a good strategy. Um, yeah. Okay, Definitely. well, this has really been fun, and I, I look forward to the next uh, SOG party 
to see you there and um, to the next conversation about the Florida Young Farmers Coalition. I It already sounds like it exists. Yeah. Um, and I wish you so much luck with your goats, babies. Thank you. Um, this has been another episode of Greenhorns Radio. That's Mary Russ. You can read all about her on the link underneath the podcast. And if you're going to Florida, maybe give her a holler. Lots coming up on the schedule. Hope you go on there and, and talk to you soon. The New Farmer's Almanac hits the shelves in about a week. We printed 4,000 copies and we got distributed by AK Press. So if you have a local bookstore in your town that's independent, I'm sure they already get books from AK Press. Remind them that you want an almanac or order one from us direct. Almanac at thegreenhorns.net. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.